The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. The following podcast is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the guilty. And tonight, we're going to be talking about law and order. No, no, not the series, but how law and order connect up with the entertainment industry, which, as you can imagine, will go in many, many different directions. And to join us on this weird and wild trip, we have enlisted our friend, Jack Ward. Welcome back to the show, Jack. Look, up in the sky! And now I pick your pocket. <laughs> there we go. Sorry. There we go. I'm trying to mix mix entertainment with, with theft. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for having me, gents. It's always great to be here. Well, it's good to have you back, Jack. So, mm. let's talk about law and order then in entertainment. Don, how do you think we should go about discussing this topic? Well, I think for, for this episode, what we're going to be getting at is how entertainment intermingles with real world law not how law is depicted in entertainment that's a whole totally different issue mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think the best place to start which is kind of the the biggest concern when it comes to entertainment and what everybody tends to think of would be uh, the idea of copyrights and trademarks makes mm-hmm. sense and that's a great place to start because i mean that's one of the very first places that the two of them kind of intersect with each other uh, much mm. of what we know as the entertainment industry was in one form or another built on people stealing each other's stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you go, was. It was. <laughs> huh, I know. I mean, when Google a number of years ago started digitizing all the old books in university libraries, one of the first things they found out was is that all these old books and magazines, they had dozens and dozens of copies of the same one under different titles with different authors. <laughs> Um, even wow. even as far back as like the 1700s and such, pretty much as soon as the publishing industry existed, people basically were just copying stuff from other people that was because uh, there was no copyright laws, right? And yeah. um, mm-hmm. especially in the Americas, this is the great irony, America is really built on copyright theft in so many different ways. We could do a whole episode just on that. But but the short version is, is that so many American books and magazines back in the old days were basically just copies of stuff from England or Europe because the copyright holders weren't going to hop on a ship for two weeks to come over and chase you across the American West. That's not happening. Yeah. Well, it's it's good to know at least that China respects copyright law. Well, they do as much as the Americans do anyway. <laughs> there you go. Well, to, yeah, to be fair, though, I mean, copyright law has made huge sort of I don't want to say gains because I don't like what they, what they've done with it lately. I mean, at one point the idea was, you know, the person would die and like 20 years later or something like that. 28 when, years later, I think it was. You know, 28 years later, um, it would go into the public domain mm-hmm. and that was great. And then we had this little rat named Mickey. Mm-hmm. 
And Disney kept bribing Congress to extend the copyright legislation so that they wouldn't lose control of Mickey Mouse. And I think because Disney is a corporation and a person, it can argue that it's, you know, alive for a lot longer and therefore needs to keep cranking out more Mickey Mouse that, it you know, has no reason to, you know, to stop people from t breaking its copyright. But th the thing is, at this point, I don't think that they could they could really have a problem with having Mickey Mouse. If other people are using Mickey Mouse to do stories and stuff like that, are they ever going to beat Disney in, in the animation area? Like, it's just not. So they could have a bunch of people, because right now, let's, you could, you could make a Robin Hood movie, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But your Robin Hood movie is not going to be the same as a big budget Robin Hood movie. It won't be distributed in the same amount of places. It won't right. have the, the same amount of thrills of it. But it doesn't mean that you can't make it. And that's basically the same thing we're talking about at this point. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. well, the issue is that Steamboat Willie is going to become, you know, a copyright free or public domain. But actually, an interesting thing just happened. I don't know if you know this, which is that the very first stuff in many, many years actually just became public domain at the beginning of this year. And in fact, yes. it looks like from all practical purposes, it looks like copyright won't be extended again. It looks like Warner and Warner's apparently a big issue too with Superman and the other DC characters because they're mm. also going to fall into public domain within the next decade. And it looks like mm. Disney and Warner have basically backed off. They've gone as far as they can go and they already own the trademarks to all these characters anyway, right? So it's right. not like they really worry so much anymore about copyright or people using that. You know, I mean, the modern characters are so different than the ones that existed back then. They barely mm -hmm. care anymore. And so I don't think they but think it's worth is, it. Trademark's an awful thing. Like, I, I go back uh, to the Broken Sea issue, mm -hmm. if you remember that. What was the Broken Sea um, issue? Broken Sea, this is in my quarter there, uh, Don, the audio drama. So yes. Bill Hulwig took a public domain Conan the Barbarian story, um, Queen, uh, Queen of the Black Coast, which has been in public domain for a long time, and made his known audio drama from it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, uh, even though it's an audio drama, the Conan Properties International, LLC, a.k.a. Paradox Entertainment, sent them a threatening letter and said, you know, you're starting off by saying, first of all, your Conan the Barbarian in your web page, just the, the title Conan the Barbarian, um, is it infringes on our trademark. And so you have to remove it. So they removed it. This is way back in like 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then they removed it. And uh, then it says, you know, it, it, first of all, it says, it comes to our attention that you're selling audiobooks containing stories by Robert E. Howard featuring his character, Conan the Barbarian, on your website, brokensea.com slash Conan. That's what they wrote. The logo, the lo it's still there. No, it's not there anymore. The logo you're using to advertise these products infringes CPI's trademark rights and is substantially similar to the style of registered Conan trademarks owned by CPI, and therefore confusion. And so they removed it anyway. And then later on, they said, "Well, our letter did not request that you cease sale of your audiobooks, which they weren't selling, merely that you mm -hmm. cease the use of your logo that was conf confusing." So they they actually. We're going to make an Hour of the Dragon. They kept the show. They Late in November of 2008, actually 2008, they got an email from CPI Paradox saying that they were going to give them a free Conan license to be royalty-free license too. And so they thought, this is great. Mm -hmm. We can use it. But then just the next day, 
they get a letter from the lawyer saying, because CPI remains concerned that your audio recordings may be distributed to countries that have been previously granted exclusive rights, um, which remain protected, CPI mm-hmm. has decided not to grant you a license to utilize the Conan trademark, and then they decided to have another lawsuit threat down to them. So it comes down to, and I'm getting all this information from sffaudio.com, which is great, because mm-hmm. it says, you know, so the guy writes, there's only one reasonable judgment, CPI Paradox Entertainment's being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Was, that was his response right well, and so here's this is why warner brothers doesn't care because they're just going to trademark the characters anyway if you show up even with an old uh public domain story they're going to nail you for it so yeah. so what's the point of public domain anymore now see you 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 guys have both kind of hit at a bunch of things and i think it's great how we're less than 10 minutes in and jack always has like 50 references to look up for the notes <laughs> it's it's a mm-hmm. gift but but i will send them to you <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> but you've you've hit upon um, the difference between copyright and trademark, and they're kind of sticky points. Um, trademarks are actually mm-hmm. much much older; they go back to the Roman Empire. Uh, because oh, we, I didn't know that. Neither yeah, because what used what used to happen is bakers would do um, they they'd rip off the 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 customer; they'd mix sawdust in, or they'd uh, put rocks in to make the bread feel heavier. Mm. And it became law that if you were a baker, you had like a brand, like a symbol that you'd put on all your loaves. So if it was found to be like defective or you're ripping people off, mm-hmm. they'd know who was doing it. Um, copyrights are a little more new. They come out, 1662 is the British uh, Copyright Act. The uh, British Licensing of the Press Act is 1662. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of our first official copyright laws. Now, what you guys were getting at earlier from that era is that idea of enforcing copyright. Right. Like there's a difference between having one and enforcing it. Now that's different. It's different nowadays because we've got the internet, which makes it easier to track and easier to rip people off. Mm-hmm. I just scan it and put it online. Yep. But when you when you get to the difference between copyright and trademark, a copyright protects uh, essentially, and it gets really weird, essentially an actual produced work mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. trademarks going back to this bread thing the intent behind registering a trademark it's a seal of quality mm. so this is why when they they talked about using their conan symbol or something that looks like their conan symbol uh the idea would be you could confuse an audience into thinking it's something that the big company that holds the rights to the character net is producing mm-hmm. and it would confuse the audience into thinking that your possibly inferior product is not theirs or at any rate siphoning sales away from them because people might think that your, for lack of better term in this example, I'll say knockoff mm-hmm. is authentic. Mm-hmm. Now that gets into gray areas too, because uh, like the Mickey Mouse thing, you can make the argument that Mickey himself is a trademark. So anything with Mickey Mouse on it is people going to think is a Disney like product de facto. Mm-hmm. Right. True. Uh, the the thing with with Steamboat Willie was going to go into public domain, which means that specific film uh, you could show anywhere. Now they could theoretically block that by saying yes, but people are going to think that that's a legitimate Disney product. It cheapens our brand. Therefore, you still can't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. That Now, the, the idea what Disney did with their copyrights, because 
ever since the 70s, since the early 70s, most uh, copyrights in the in the world kind of follow like the the British American model. Mm-hmm. And a copyright exists from the point you create something till 50 years after you die. Yep. What what Disney did is they it it and it's called the Sonny Bono Act. Yes, it is because because mm-hmm. Sonny yeah because yeah, Sonny Bono didn't believe in copyright like at all, and he had been pushing for this before his unfortunate accident. And what mm-hmm. they did is they said that for a corporate product, uh, the corporate copyright on material they got it so that it would last 120 years after creation. Or 95 years after publication. Mm-hmm. And now that starts getting into weird areas because if you look at what's been going on in the States with their corporate law, and they've been edging towards this idea that a corporation has always been a legal entity. That's mm-hmm. what a corporation is. But this idea that they're also legally social entities, the idea that corporations can have free speech, which was the Citizens United thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they were considered people back in the 1800s, and apparently it was designed as a law not for corporations, but for black people to be considered to be actual regular people. Yep. But there was it was written in such a way that corporations – there were more corporations that were registered as people than freed slaves at the time. Yeah, and then over, over time that kind of came to the idea that – corporations existed they're people in in a strictly legal sense that's why i Mm -hmm. say they're a legal entity Mm -hmm. but they're edging towards that concept of them actually having like social rights Mm -hmm. because again they're being seen as a social entity and if they do that you can make the argument that the copyright laws as they apply to an individual still exist so disney holds the copyright to all of their stuff until 50 years after Disney dies, not the guy, the company. Yeah. <laughs> Which could be never. And then it could end up that if Disney did go under, you'd have to find who the uh, who the last, probably the last CEO was, or the last uh, <laughs> head of whoever the department holding the rights to their stuff was, until that person died, and then 50 years after. So again, it's it, I don't think it's going to get entirely straightened out anytime soon. <laughs> No, no, it's not. And that would be a horrible idea because, of course, what's going to happen is some other company will simply buy Disney's holdings, at which point they will just continue to be the legal representative. So the idea of copyright being tied to a corporation is actually a really, really horrible idea. Um, Or they could do the same thing as they do with Frank Magazine and just kill it and then call it Frank Inc. Or, you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. change the name and put all the holdings into the new company. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to be the demise and takeover from something else. It's just a great way to be able to avoid any kind of complaint. That's how Frank Magazine in Canada gets away with it. For yeah. those people who don't know, Frank Magazine is kind of like a, a pretty uh, uh, nasty rag which goes after a whole bunch of different people for various different things. And they don't have to be accurate because if you try to sue them, Every day or every month, I forget. It's it's the magazine is is destroyed and re, rebranded, kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's that's one way to deal with the problem. And yeah, because yeah, because that that ties in with the other idea of why corporations exist and a corporation uh, incorporation protects the people of the company from things that happen to the company. Mm. Mm-hmm. So in that case, if somebody does sue like the magazine. 
the people who own the magazine are separate from the company that owns the magazine. So all of the uh, unfortunateness, like if they get sued and have to pay a million bucks, that comes out of the company's holdings. The people who own the company are immune. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's the idea. And that gets mm -hmm. used in other ways. If I remember right, in Hollywood, there's a there are a few reasons, but that's one of them why, if you check, almost every movie is actually made by a sub-company that is created by the studio or by the producers just for mm -hmm. making that particular movie. And then when that movie is done, that entity, corporate entity, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, there's there's another catch to how Hollywood does it too. Most of it's for taxes, I know that, but there's some other reasons apparently for liabilities, etc. Yeah, and, and and again, a big part is is for for tax because no Hollywood movie ever makes money; they all lose money somehow. Yes, At every single well, this, the way they do it is that when when they set these these movie studios up and they're buying mm -hmm. like supplies and equipment, you're getting it from the studio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I need a set built. In all likelihood, if I'm like working, if I'm I'm a company essentially doing a film for Paramount, if I'm one of these production companies like you were saying, mm. that springs up for one film, I'm getting all my work from Paramount, which means I'm getting at, at the minimal cost because they already have divisions set up, but they're going to charge me what the wholesale rate for everything is, mm. mm -hmm. which essentially means even though I don't pay for it, I'm handing in for my tax assessments, wildly inflated costs. Yep. Yeah. It reminds me of Shakespeare. I love that, that scene where they, the businessman says, you know, well, what, how are we going to pay the actors part of the profits, but there's never any profits. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I was like, oh crap. Yeah. <laughs> and you might wonder why does California let them get away with this? And the short answer is, the studios have basically told them, look, if you leave, we'll take our, you know, multi-billion dollar industry to another state that will give us tax-free status. Yep. yep. And so sometimes, they hold them hostage, basically. Yeah, sometimes yep. they do more because Disney is essentially its own country. Mm -hmm. Like uh, when they built like uh, Disney World mm -hmm. and Disneyland, they bought all of that land and it's essentially like it's almost a free state within the country. Like the Disney properties, really? Yeah. Did you hear how they they you know they have the the Disney uh, the area where you I don't think they do it anymore, but you could buy you could rent homes or something like that and live in the the, the Disney. Yes, yes. There's home. a Disney yeah. community. It's called you, like Celebration, I believe. Yeah, Celebration Town or yeah. something like that. So you know how that came to be? How? So the president of Disney at the time, it could have been Michael Eisner, wanted another exit ramp into Disney. And uh, the government wouldn't pay for it because they could only pay for so many unless there was an actual community there. Oh. So he built a community so he could ha so he could have the state pay for all the, the the new ramp to come in. So he made money on the community, made money on the ramp, <laughs> and that's how he did it. Because you know Disney is so tight for funds lately, right? Yeah. After after buying out Marvel and Fox, they just there and Star Wars, you know. And, George Lucas films, they're mm. a little ca cash strapped, right? Well, the, they did the celebration thing a while ago, but actually, I've heard that, and I know this is somewhat true. Disney goes through cycles where they really are yep. almost broke. Yep. They've actually almost gone broke many times in their history, and right. Lucas film actually Star Wars is tanking big time, but that's a topic for another show. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I've even heard some of their Disney stuff is not doing that well. The only thing they've really got making money right now, hand over fist, is the Marvel stuff. Right. That's what I've heard anyway. And then, I mean, that's well, part of the reason they, they want it, Fox too. They, but didn't they didn't they buy Pixar again? They must be making money with Pixar. Yeah, oh yeah, they're making money. With, that's true. They're making money with yeah. Pixar too. But but it's not sure. like the park and that makes it makes money, but not quite as much as you think it does. Like it's it's funny because Disney when he first built the park, he made it strictly so it would make enough money so he could make cartoons. That's all he wanted. Right. He didn't want to become like this massive emperor of entertainment. He just wanted to make cartoons. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the way it works out, but unfortunately, yeah. we don't it doesn't always go as planned. Um yeah. and uh, Yeah, but, hmm, sorry, go on. Uh, there's also the idea too like yeah, everything is is cyclical. And it's the idea with a lot of the big companies. Uh, they're usually kind of running the ragged edge of disaster. Mm-hmm. And you never know if they really are or not, because sometimes what will happen is uh, it looks like their margins are really low because of this creative accounting. Mm-hmm. Uh, their margins can be actually low because the executives are taking like a big cut of the profits. Right. Mm-hmm. They can be margins can get low because what will happen is companies especially like disney that will expand mm-hmm. like they buy marvel they buy star wars they buy you know everything and they've spent that money and they're looking for the big payout and then there's there's a dip because something that they've bought just it's not popular anymore so you can have mm-hmm. it take a hit that way um this is what does a lot of the big companies like that in or Post is twinkies no <laughs> oh no not the twinkies oh no yeah. those they make those out they, of like old shoe leather and mattresses. That's but, not. A... But then they almost <laughs> die, and everybody like somebody bought like the last Hostess Twinkie, which was like thirty thousand dollars, and then they just they came back a year later. Or something yeah. Like that. So everybody panicked, right? Well, because like... somebody else bought them. Because what happens is, like with it, with entertainment companies especially, everything's going good. You expand to capitalize on it, and then whatever you've expanded into, people get tired of the bottom falls out, and then you've got to contract. Mm. And what happens, um, what's been happening in the last couple couple decades, like the Twinkie thing, uh, the company making them expands. People go on like a health food like kind of binge. People are worried about their health. There's a lot of talk about, you know, how our health is deteriorating, like we're all getting fatter and stuff. Mm-hmm. The popularity drops out. Now, if you're a giant mega conglomerate, you're not producing enough Twinkies to support these giant factories. But if you shut them down and some, say, middle-range middle, middle range company buys the rights and produces them, they can produce them at a smaller number that will yield to them a big profit because they're not having to cover all of these giant factories mm. that they had bought up and built when things were going well. Right. So what's here's an interesting question that's sort of tangential because we just mentioned Marvel, and it was in receivership almost twice, I think. At least, yeah. And then – at least, but I don't think DC was ever. Is it because they were attached to Warner and they they always sort of no DC? Up... Uh, remember, there was a period where DC was National Comics, if I remember right. Right, and no, that was long. That time was a long ago. time ago. But DC actually did go bankrupt at one point, and that's when Warner Brothers bought them. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, okay. And then Warner's, I think it was like in the seventies, maybe. I think either seventies, seventies, mm. right? I think it was seventies, eighties. It was the eighties. It was the eighties. Okay. 
when when Mego was producing the uh, the DC superheroes, the copyright in the back of the figure was still a NPP, which right. is National Periodicals Publishing. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, and yeah. I know that it's. I remember when it became like the Warner symbol in you know the Batman movies and mm-hmm. yeah. the Batman cartoon, right? Which was I guess early nineties. That was nineties, yeah. Yeah, but uh, the Batman movies was still eighties. Yep. Yeah, I was like eighty nine, I think. Yeah, eighty eight, eighty nine. Yep. So yeah, DC has basically had a sugar daddy that's been basically keeping it alive since the eighties mm-hmm. to act as a content factory. Right. And yeah. in fact, they don't even have to technically produce a profit. In fact, many times I've heard DC has actually lost money, but Warner's isn't going to shut them down because it's their way of keeping the copyrights of all these things. If DC were to shut down, a lot of the copyrights would revert back to the creator's families. Yeah. Oh, and you can't have that. Well, oh, no, especially not no. if it's like you're going back to losing Superman or Batman or the other yeah. big money makers, Siskel right? Siskel and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So therefore, no, that's the whole point. DC is essentially a giant holding company that also sometimes produces new content. Well, you know, they're still doing comics, right? So they're still producing mm-hmm. some new characters and content. That's also why all these old characters are constantly having to pop back up in DC Comics because it's a way to renew their copyrights and to keep them in publication. Gotcha. Well, this this brings another, uh, if I may, uh, one of my break heartbreaks of copyright and and taking somebody to law. One of my heroes growing up, and you can laugh now, Don. You go ahead and laugh. Mm-hmm. It's fine. One of my heroes. He's just mm-hmm, maybe. I'm waiting. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of my heroes growing up was Clayton Moore. Um, if you know who that name is, isn't that the Lone Ranger? Yes, mm-hmm. the Lone Ranger. Because he genuinely was a really good guy. Like, right. he really did play the Lone Ranger when he wasn't playing the Lone Ranger. Right. He mm-hmm. would go out even way after, when he was, like, in his 60s. He would go out in the mask, and he'd talk to kids about staying away from drugs and stuff like that. And I know people who knew him, and they said he was genuinely that guy all the way through. Right. Mm-hmm. So around what happens in 1978, uh, Jack Rather... Um, who still owned the rights to the character, got a court order banning this old man from appearing in public as the Lone Ranger. Right, yeah. So they had to relate, so he removed removed the mask from Clayton Moore. He could only wear like dark sunglasses instead with the white hat. And he said he felt like after so many years of playing, it felt like a slap in the face. But even though I guess they, they won the... The, the legal battle he kind of won the the media war out of that and he got a lot more people interested in in the lone ranger again just because he was doing that but it was it was heartbreaking to see yeah. you know like why why would you take that from an old man it's like this guy who played spider-man you know all his life going to malls in his 70s and playing spider-man somebody saying no you can't wear the spider-man costume anymore get yeah. out of it you yeah know? but like, it's ridiculous yeah, but you know what part of that was uh, with well, they it, had the new movie coming out, right? Yeah, and what they were doing is, it's that idea we've talked about before that that the, your audience is cyclical. Mm-hmm. So in the 70s, westerns were a grown-up thing again, and that's when they yeah. did, I think it was called The Legend of the Lone Ranger. Yep, which was the what movie, it was. Which was supposed to be a more mature kind of take on the character, to go in with that idea of westerns as adult entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I'm right. betting... I'm betting they didn't want this guy, hey, kids, stay in school. Yeah. That it, it was that idea. It's taking away from that new image that they're trying to uh, trying to, to create. Same thing with uh, when you get to the, uh, the 89 mm-hmm. and they did the uh, Mr. Mom Batman. They, right. they didn't want Adam West anywhere near it. And again, I think That's it was, right. it was that, that idea that they were afraid that 
-hmm. Here they wanted something kind of dark and serious and a little more mature. And if you had the na-na-na-na-na-na-na Batman guy in, Mm -hmm. it would confuse the audience and people would be expecting the na-na-na-na-na-na-na Batman. Right. Yeah. Clint Eastwood as the Lone Ranger. (laughs) Wow. Are you happy, punk? (laughs) (laughs) You feeling lucky, punk? These are silver bullets. Yeah. I don't know if you can see him squint through the mask, though. It just wouldn't work the same way. So anyway. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So, but that, but that goes again, the Lone Ranger thing again, plays to a trademark. Mm. Yes. That what they said, it wasn't that he was, it wasn't the copyright that he was infringing on. It was the trademark because the white hat, the, and the mask is, is this, the, the, the visual symbology for the Lone Ranger. Yeah. Right. Yep. I could see that. And, then, and and that's what brings this all the way to Axanar film too, right? Yeah, kinda. That's a It's a trademark thing as well, I would guess. Is well, that what you're saying? Yes and no because when you get to something like uh, Axanar cuz something like Star Trek or even Star Wars or or anything that's been around for a long, you mentioned Conan. Conan is another legal nightmare. Mm. Because you have these things that something like Conan has gone in and out of copyright so many times for so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trademark is passed between so many different people and groups, even something like Star Trek. There's been uh, so much fan work mm-hmm. that's come out. It gets fan work and, and other licensed products that if you're the current holder, it's difficult to keep a rein on that because well, all kinds of weird things happen. Because again, something like Star Trek's a good example because Star Trek is another thing that comes and goes. And and it's always had a history. Like Gene Roddenberry encouraged fan stuff. Well, because that's what that's what made it. Like yeah, Star Trek didn't take off until like seventy five, seventy six, with that's the right. conventions, the fan works, the licensing, and the replays, the, re- yeah. the re- reruns mostly. Yeah, reruns. Yeah, reruns. But the fans kept it going because they produced so much work in that setting. And mm-hmm. this is why you'll see Star Trek will do that. And then they'll license out uh, material to like book companies and like FASA. FASA had a pretty, uh, oh, pretty yeah. big hand in, in early in, in like the 80s Trek stuff. But yep. then when Paramount decides they're going to make a big push to bring it back, then they go around and smack all these people's peepees. And then, again, everybody feels like it's a smack in the pee-pee, and it literally is, because you've allowed this free reign, but when they decide to come out and take it in that quote-unquote new direction of that, they don't want these confusion. They don't want, like, um, people wondering, you know, tying it into fan productions that may not be up to their quality or may have a lot more, like, sex than they really wanted to put in. Mm-hmm. It runs into the problem with something, especially like Trek, What's the official background? What's the official background now? Because if I change it, like that's the problem with something like uh, Axanar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In old Star Trek canon, Axanar is the big, the planet where the yeah. Klingon human thing finally comes to a head. Yeah. In all of the new stories, like the new movies and the new series, the whole Klingon Federation thing is completely different. So you might not want that coming out because then people might either say, what is this? This doesn't make any sense. 
or they might say, I like that better than what you're doing. And then you're way, you're, you're absolutely stuck at that point. It's funny because they still do have um, ground rules now. They have guidelines for fan f- film stuff. Yeah. Things like it can't be 30 minutes long. It can't have Star Trek in the title. It can't be used for public crowdfunding. Can't pr- compensate pr- professional talent, that kind of thing. What's, hmm. But str- what's strangely enough, for audio drama, they're just like, well, whatever. It's great. <laughs> I could make a whole bunch of Star Trek fan audio drama right now, and I never get sla- slapped by Paramount. Really? I'm, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Because I th- that was a big concern, and they were going to remove all the stuff from Darker Projects as a really good uh, uh, Star Trek Section thirty four. Section thirty one. Thirty one. Mm-hmm. Section thirty one. Thank you. And um, it's it's a lot of fun that particular one. And they were going to remove it, but they actually got clarification from Paramount that said, "Oh no, come on, no, you can do whatever you want with audio drama. It's not a big deal." So I was like, "Great." Yep. So okay. someday expect me writing Trek Tales, <laughs> yeah. anthology series of Star Trek. You and but, a dozen yeah. other audio drama groups. That's right. Yeah, but that that's only going to last until one of them takes off. And yeah. then Paramount all of a sudden is going to be like, nope, 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 no audio, yeah. nothing, nope, forget it. Yeah. So you say I can't do my 10 little red shirts? <laughs> you could probably get away with that. You just don't well, Ten little red shirts by Agatha Christie. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing no, is it would, about Anna, it would have to. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I was going to say, but about Axonar though, I mean, there was another level involved there. I mean, that guy yes. was crowdfunding using Trek's name to Outwazoo, yeah. and yeah. the story that I've heard goes that he was also using that money legitimately or not to build a whole like studio that was going to be used for axnar but then would be used for all his own projects after that as well so yeah so it was all kind of a setup in the end really to make money like he you could very honestly argue was profiting off the whole copyrights of star trek yeah and i hated it because there was another fan show that was amazing um star trek continues yes and mm. it's so well produced and so well it just literally continued from the original series and great acting and the whole bit and that had to get shut down too with everything else now they did finally settle with paramount and they're still going to make axanar mm-hmm. they settled it in 2017 so i don't know if how far through they are but they did say that they could still they could still make it so um, we'll see if it eventually comes out i think it's probably like you said it probably soured in the mouths of all the fans at that point knowing that this was pretty much a, a cash grab for the people involved. And also there were a lot of actors that were supposed to be involved that are now, you know, not gonna be there because they Oh no, they still can be apparently. The people who have signed on can still play, but just nobody knew. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I just looked this up, which is fascinating. Yeah. That is pretty fascinating. But I mean, you know, he's hardly the first person to try to um, you know, profit off using copyrighted work. I mean Let's face it, the audio drama community, I mean, let's go back, Pendant Productions. I mean, that that outfit there, they literally took all the DC comics they could and did audio dramas of them for years. And yes. they, you know, they used DC's copyright and DC's trademark left, right, and center. And pretty blatantly, yeah. too. I mean, they had their own DC universe. At one point, they had like about seven or eight DC shows running. And oh, yeah. one could argue that what they did is they took DC's 
copyrights and use that to build their own audio drama group. And then even when DC eventually shut them down, they still had, you know, the whole system set up and everything like that. So Pendant could just continue on their merry way producing stuff. I mean, this was something back in the day. I don't know if this is still true for audio drama. This is one of my beefs. Sorry, since we're going to talk audio drama here for a second, that (laughs) um, so many groups, what they did is, and maybe still do, is that they basically, yeah, they do fan works as a way to Mm -hmm. get together the group and to build up a fan base and everything else. And then they do original stuff. And part of the reason why I think there's so little original audio drama content is exactly that. Because the, Mm. the, the whole... Uh, audio drama um, community is so focused on fan work sometimes that I, you know, I'm going to be honest. That kind of drives me nuts. And maybe, well, I got to be honest with you, Rob. Not anymore. Really? No. Really, fan stuff is few and far between. I think the only thing that's left really is Doctor Who. Wow. Okay. I don't see people making even like. And to be fair, I made a fan thing just for fun. If you remember, I did Firefly. Yeah, you did Firefly. I know. But and I got a ton of people. To, I didn't expect a ton of people. Now I had already made original stuff, right? You knew yeah, that. yeah. You don't. So it wasn't original. like that. I did it strictly for that thing. But I just wanted to try my writing chops right? in a particular yep. area. And so I thought, you know, I'm not going to do Star Trek. I'm not going to do Star Wars. I'm not going to do Doctor Who. Maybe I'll just try audio uh, fan uh, fan fiction for Firefly. But nowadays, it is all original stuff. There might mm-hmm. be some people on the outskirts doing anime um, fan fiction and stuff like that. But I do not – nobody is making the, – the, I don't even hear any Star Wars stuff being made anymore or Star Trek stuff for the most part. I am shocked that everybody has gone like almost all original stuff. Now, do you think that was because of the clampdown on pendants? Like they ba- it basically scared everyone off from doing fan stuff? I mean uh, most of the people who are making audio drama today don't even know who Pendant is. Um, That's a valid point. The third – there's a third generation here that have have gotten all of their stuff straight off of like serial and welcome to night they yeah their 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 entire style of audio drama isn't anywhere near like what you'd expect audio drama to be so it's it's like i'm literally calling it like the the bronze age or the third generation of audio drama they mm-hmm. these are these are people who've never heard the stuff that i've made never heard uh, any of the original – they might have heard of Star Wars, but most of the time they're sounding very much like um, YouTubers where they have somebody sort of coming up to the microphone and going, let me tell you about this crazy story, you know? <laughs> and then they, they'll put in some sound effects, and then maybe they'll have some field work where they went somewhere, but they're talking to an audience as if they're an NPR show, right? Because they are copying Serial and Night Vale because that, exactly. that made all the money. Exactly. And that's what they're thinking. It's like, whoa, these guys are so popular. What can I do? What kind of creepy story can I do? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, I'm not saying those things are bad. I mean, it's, they've got some interesting stories from it. The Message was a great six-part series. Here's the problem, though. Mm-hmm. It wears out quick. Yeah. You, can only do, you can only do weird and, and freaky for so long when people start, start to say the same thing as they said about X-Files. I don't care if it's out there anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right you're not ever coming you're never going to give me the answer that i need to know that that Mulder finally gets proof and that every the whole world knows that he hasn't been nuts right so just you know i'm sick of it you're just you're just spinning the wheels we're mm. in the lost world where you're just going to try and intrigue me constantly forget it <laughs> you know so. well i i'm glad to hear that audio drama has gone original content i'm actually very happy about that for sure and I suspect a big part of it is, yeah, because they all want to be able to sell it, basically, or profit off of it, and they know they won't be able to do that with fan work, so a lot of them have dropped out. Although, some of the 
like the Star Trek groups in that must still exist. They must still be doing like Star Trek fan works and such. To be fair, there are a couple, but there's not nearly the numbers that there used to be. Mm. There, there, I think I only know of two that are still active at this point and not even darker projects. Right. So a lot of those people, either they got tired of doing the fan stuff and wanted to do original work and try some different stuff. Which is good. Or they just they just burned out and they stopped making the stuff altogether. Right. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. So we're now, yeah, as you say, we're in the third generation of audio drama people at this point. Yep. Huh. That must make it really interesting for you to get content for the Sonic Society then. Oh, there's there's so much. There's uh, as opposed to like the first or second season, first and second season, I was fighting to get content. Now there is absolutely no way I can even get a fraction of what gets out every year. Oh, that's good. Hmm. Yeah, well, not for me. <laughs> I used to I used to be able to feel like I, I was the king of the world when it came to having stuff out there. But 52 episodes once a week is not enough to be able to get all the shows that come out there, just a taste of them all. Right. So. And you're just airing basically like pilot episodes and one-shots. You're not even airing the whole mm-hmm. series. No, yeah, exactly. And some well, oftentimes I'll I'll have like tonight I had a twin show kind of thing. So oftentimes people have a short and then they'll have a 30-minute one, right? And I have right. to fit it in. So it's never it's rarely just one show that I'm putting on. So I could be having easily 100 different 100 different shows every year without having to ever duplicate. Wow, that's fantastic. So, hmm. Now, but okay, back to our main topic then though. So did you air fan works on the Sonic Society, and how did that work copyright wise? Well, here we go. Um, I when I first started, that was our one of our first summer seasons. Was we decided let's air some fan stuff, mm-hmm. and so we did. And then I did. I didn't get kicked by any big corporations, but I did get somebody sort of say, "Look, you guys do great stuff, but I'm not going to send anything into a company that just does fan fiction stuff." So from then on, we our summers uh, our summer stock stuff has been actually uh, public domain radio drama scripts where people recreate them. Right. So there's a generic old time radio public domain radio drama scripts. Now you might go back and say, well, this isn't exactly. Uh, they assume that they're, they're public domain radio drama when they put them on there. Right. And we've never been hit by any of those things. So people just make their own productions of it. Again, not for any profit or anything, just for fun in the summertime, and that's that's what we, that's what our Sonic. I think we've got seven or eight seasons of those now, if not more, maybe ten. I think we just finished our tenth season of Sonic Summerstock. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hmm. Well, I'm going to coming up to the fifteenth season of the Sonic Society. So yeah, th- that's amazing when I think about it. Fifteen years I've been doing this, right? It and it just flew I by. Need to get a life. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. No, I love it. I love it. I really do. Okay. So. And, and, I'm, and I'm glad you do it. And you, I think you've done incredible things for the whole audio drama community. And you're oh. majorly underappreciated. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. <laughs> Can we talk about real life superheroes? Because I worry about the copyrights that get hit. Like, how do you do stuff like that? Do they get in trouble? Well, we're talking about getting in trouble with the law, right? right? So, yeah. so one of the things- I think that would fall more under disclaimers, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the next topic of disclaimers. We're going to move off IP for a bit. Sure. Yeah, because it'll 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 come back. Because um, everybody knows what the disclaimer is. That's the the you know do not try this at home thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, those kind of come about. Those are strictly put out by companies to avoid uh, getting sued, to avoid what they call tort laws. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. The idea being that you're you're demonstrating that doing something with your product or or something you've presented is a stupid idea. So if somebody does it, they can't sue you. Mm-hmm. Um, that gets to be kind of a, kind of a weird thing because you're talking about the people nowadays that like dress up like superheroes and yeah, sometimes they they go out and do like charity work and such, or sometimes they actually go out and beat people up <laughs> mm. yeah i i've got a couple of samples that i that i called you might be interested okay in. sure uh-huh so there's night warrior whose supernatural power is to make the world a better place mm-hmm. which strangely enough doesn't stop bullets but anyway <laughs> uh-huh. so, and he's he doesn't have any combat training but he does have gadgets Oh, no, he doesn't have gadgets. Sorry. He does have a flashy costume. There's a guy who does have gadgets. But he does, because it's according according to him, when people see me coming up, it does tend to stun them into silence. <laughs> so, Night Warrior lives with his mother. So then my second favorite that I picked was, was Wheel Clamp Man, whose main heroic activity is full-fledged crime. He patrols Perth with an angular grinder and cuts off wheel clamps from cars that have been illegally parked. So he's a villain. So he's a villain. Well, no, he's a he's a, he's a he's a Robin Hood hero for people who have their car. Yeah, he's a vigilante, right? Mm-hmm. So he's dressed in skin tight green leotard, rainbow socks, and a glue on mustache. <laughs> so he's only been working in the area for a while, but it's, many people are grateful that they don't they don't have to pay the hundred thirty five dollar fine. So he helps them from that. There was Dark Guardian, who's out of New York, and the, there's a video that I'll send you about mm-hmm. where he actually takes out a drug dealer, which is kind of cool. Right. And then there's Captain Australia, who wears gardening gloves, and uh, <laughs> he's waging a one-man <laughs> war against crime in, the in, I love this, Fortitude Valley. How's mm. that for a great place in comic <laughs> book history, right? Fortitude Valley. Yeah. Fortitude good. Valley. He's a day day life. He stays a day at home father of two, but a desire to clean up Queensland streets has motivated him to put on his makeshift costume patrol in the cedar areas of Brisbane at night. Then there's a guy from Vancouver named Thanatos, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is like the god of death. But anyway, yeah. wearing wearing a black trench coat, a black hat, a green skull mask, he goes around and just sort of passes out food for people. And then you yeah. probably heard about Phoenix Jones. Yes. Uh-huh. Th- that's the MMA fighter. You'll find video of him. He has a bulletproof vest and armor plating. And then there is the Flashing Blade, which was awesome because there's no picture for him. This is the last two. The Flashing Blade um, is definitely bizarre. There was a gang armed with chains and knives that attacked two detectives in the South Shields in 2007. The detectives were unarmed, but out of nowhere... The flashing blade leaps into the fight, swinging a katana and shouts, leave him alone. He's a police officer. The sword catches one of the gang members on the arm and the rest of them take off. (laughs) So the detectives were safe. The flashing blade disappeared and was never seen again. The only description they got was he was white, 40s and had a mustache. So be on the lookout. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And this last one I thought of you, Rob. (laughs) Have you heard of the Chinese red bud woman? No. She's been from Beijing. Spotted several times wearing a mask and a cape and handing out food to homeless people on the streets. Right. Isn't that amazing? Well, in mm. China, it's possible handing out food to homeless is actually a crime. So there might be a reason. Is it really? Yeah. The, well, the Chinese government can be a little wacky that way. They might consider it encouraging them not to, like, leave. Oh, wow. Mm. So I don't know how they feel about charity. And then, of course, there's that whole super surveillance system that they're putting together. Um, yes. So, so that's also an issue. But... The only problem is I don't think those quite qualify as issues of 
copyright or not copyright or, no. or that kind of thing. I mean, because copyright and even the disclaimer thing would really apply to maybe guys who actually dress up as Batman. And there is one. There's one in Toronto who does that. He has his own Batmobile and he goes around to charity really? events and everything like that. Yeah, there's an actual Batman in Toronto. His Batmobile has actually had engine troubles a few times, like on the 401. And he's actually had to pull it aside. Huh. And so everyone takes pictures oh, no. of him and everything like that. And he's had to actually have it towed. Oh, no. The inhumanity. Exactly. He doesn't even have, he doesn't even have a, like, a, like a, a butler to come and pick it up or anything? No, nope, I'm afraid not. Oh, wow. No Alfred. But Alfred. so they would actually fall into copyright, at least ones like him. I think there's a Spider-Man yes. kicking around down the States, too, as well. Or a guy who dresses as Spider-Man, obviously. A lot of them mm -hmm. just do it for charity work, etc. Presumably, none of them are actually fighting crime as Batman or Spider-Man, but one one never knows. Um, mm. Although I think, but to go, I'm oh. just going to say this falls more into like criminal behavior in the respect that it interferes with the policing forces. It's not so much copyright law; it actually comes in under the criminal code. Yeah, yeah, it would. It would yeah. definitely if they were to commit an actual crime or vigilante act, they would definitely be considered criminals. Yeah, there's right. I think there's some catches here, and this is this is why I say we we have kind of we're building up to one thing. I think at the end of this episode, and this ties in, mm -hmm. um, because again, it's it's it ties into the idea of entertainment because you're looking at people who are directly inspired mm -hmm. by by a certain genre and and a certain medium, and there's you're always going to have that weird back and forth about uh, people are going to say. Are they going to blame these people, like, like blame the entertainment? Just reading those comic books turns you crazy like this. Mm -hmm. and, and then it's also that idea that exactly what's going on, because you get a lot of these these people who dress up like superheroes, and we have one in Windsor. We have the Crimson Canuck. Mm -hmm. Oh, do you really? Yep. That's Cause, awesome. Because Windsor is what you get if cyberpunk happens in the 70s. So, of course, you have to have superheroes. <laughs> For sure. And and you get a lot of these people. What they're doing is they're doing charity work. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of them that will do like uh, like uh, like the the neighborhood watch kind of patrols, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they do it in in, in costume, and they they because it's visual, it encourages more people to come out with them and that. And you do get ones that go the other way because there was oh, I can't remember his name. There was a guy just arrested uh, last year, I think it was in the states, mm -hmm. that was dressed up like a superhero, just beating the shit out of people with a stick. Wow. But it, it goes into that idea because what you're starting to bump into that kind of leads to some other stuff is what exactly is entertainment's place in society? Okay. And and it's because it's, it's reciprocal, right? Mm. Like what the fans affect, what gets done, what gets done affects the fans kind of thing. Right. And you've always got these weird kind of debates. Even the idea of copyright lends itself to that because there's this idea of intellectual property as a commodity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have the rights to Batman, therefore I profit from Batman. And then there's also this idea that I've I've heard Rob ex expose before in some of our, our conversations that you shouldn't be allowed to hoard these things because why shouldn't someone else do Batman? They might do better Batman. Mm, true. Mm -hmm. 
And it's it's that idea that you get that 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 notion of what exactly is a character like say Batman? Are they a commodity? Mm-hmm. Are they an idea, an ideal? Are they something that exists beyond the fans and beyond the production? Are they are they something that somebody has like a tight rein in like and it leads to like say a lot of like the nerd rage from the beginning of of like the 2000s mm-hmm. where people i loved would... batman dead end by the way Remember okay short yes yeah but if With, uh cone uh uh guy who plays Chekhov, his his son who committed suicide later he played the joker really walter koenig yeah walter koenig's son was the he played the joker in that i didn't yeah. know that oh but if it's sorry go ahead and i i I have an interesting side to that so go ahead because i was gonna say if you remember at that time a lot of people would complain because a character like batman gets reinvented every so many years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. always has been but that was a point where you started hear people saying well my batman wouldn't do that that's not the real batman well there's no real batman but it's bumping into this idea what exactly is batman that there's this weird in the minds of the fan, that character becomes so solidified that anything that doesn't fit their internal image is somehow a blasphemy against this this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I, I'm laughing because I, at Halloween at the school, um, uh, another teacher, who, by the way, is doing the voice for one of my superheroes, Wingman, which I haven't released yet, mm-hmm. um, and... Uh, I walk into my classroom with all the lights off, turn on the lights, and he's there in his Batman costume sitting at my desk going, hello, Jack. <laughs> That's a bad Freak sign. the living heck right out of me. <laughs> that is so brilliant. awesome. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, it was awesome. So uh, here's, my, here's my interesting thought, though, because I think that what you're hitting upon, Don, is another uh, – like you're talking about the nerd rage side, but I think on the corporate side of things, society wants us – to be able to – they don't mind us playing superheroes if it's controlled and they can profit off of us. Mm-hmm. So that's why you get – it's absolutely fine to cosplay if you paid so much money and you're in this particular building. Yeah. and, and But it's... if you were downtown doing it on your own, that's a big problem. Well, there's – yeah, there's – the reasons for that too though is is you could make the argument that – in a convention, you expect cosplayers, so it's not infringing on your trademark. And there's also the problem that if I dress up like a giant bat to go beat the shit out of homeless guys at night, even if I don't call myself Batman, that can still make DC nervous because people might start associating that or that behavior with my characters. And then the next thing you know, oh my god, Batman is making people beat up homeless people, it should be banned. And it's bad publicity and blah blah blah. That's an argument, and I agree with you, but I'm thinking even a broader stake of society's control over people who are doing um, weird and different things. Take the flagpole sitting craze way back in the 1920s. They didn't like that either, Um, and of course there's safety reasons and stuff like that too, but there's there's a whole aspect. Well, I mean, for safety reasons, you know what the – like the the – the the record for the flagpole sitting is what it's crazy like i mean the one guy he sat on the flagpole for 49 days in atlantic city wow in new jersey Jesus. and then the following year his record was broken by another guy bill penfield in strawberry point iowa he sat there for 51 days and 20 hours how do you so, do that 
not very comfortably, I would assume. <laughs> My so, God. But it died out in 1929 with the onset of the Depression. Right. <laughs> of course, you'd think they'd be want to be more entertained at that point. But the point of the matter is, is that society loves to be able to give people entertainment that they can control, that they copyright, that mm-hmm. they trademark, that they have control limits over it. But if you're doing your own thing, there's a problem. Yeah, but you got to remember society mm. isn't a thing. It's a bunch of different groups. Mm. And what you're going to get is when it comes to any kind of issue of of um, behavior, of entertainment, even even approaching the, the big sea of copyright, it's that idea of how many of these groups start lining up and how loud can they get. Well, that's what I mean. It's not. It's not a conspiracy. It's a confluence of of ideas, right? Yeah. So the the, the corporations don't want you doing it because you're going to copyright their stuff. The law enforcement doesn't want you doing it because somebody could get hurt and they're going to be blamed for it. Uh, so there's a way of being able to organize and stop people from having any kind of full nerdly expression about things because we can create all sorts of laws to be able to suppress that or control it. Yeah, except you got to be careful about that that we idea, and I think you're broaching onto another another one of the uh, the important little extra fundamentals of entertainment. Okay, is is this is where you get? I'm going to mention rating systems. Nice, mm-hmm. and it's good segue. <laughs> yeah, and it's because what ends up happening is um, you get conflict from different groups. Like it's it's not that society necessarily wants to control the free thinkers and the, the creative people because don't forget a lot of audiences don't want creativity. Like this is why it's so important to hang on to Batman with an iron grip because Batman is a known commodity. Batman will sell more than, you know, Night Guy who might be exactly like Batman, but because people <laughs> have been climatized by Batman, that's where they go. The audience themselves really don't want new things. New things are work. New things mean I have to pay attention. I have to mm. learn a, a whole new value system. Like, okay, who is this like writer? Is he good? Is he bad? Is Do I look smart by reading it? Do I not? I don't understand. But then, oh, Batman. I know Batman. You know, oh, being played by Ben Affleck. I know Ben Affleck. Directed by this guy who directs everything. I know this guy. And it's safer, like even for the audience. Mm-hmm. But don't you think the audience has been trained into that, though? Like we've been yep. slowly homogenized into this idea that we don't want to, we don't want to be exploring new ideas. We just want to be familiar with the old. No, not, I think can I, can I interrupt on this one? Oh, uh, that's ahead. not quite true, Jack. What's really going on is it has more to do. I think it's our dopamine levels. It's biology is what it really is. When we're okay. young, our brains are literally wired to absorb everything new that we can find around us. Okay. And then the older we get, those chemical levels in our brain go down that encourage us to find new things actually go down. So in your case of your average person, they find new progressively more challenging as they age. So, And that's – I agree with you there, but I'm just saying that we're not becoming progressively more challenged with our younger generation. For the most part, it's become more homogenized. We don't ha- – we have less new ideas coming out from movie theaters mm. in the we had much more uh, interesting different stories in the 80s than we do nowadays uh because they're constantly throwing back stuff that they know sells right and yeah. there's no fight back really from the younger generation 
which you expect to be. The older generation, you're absolutely right. You know what I mean? Like we all we all want the same things we want. Where's my Battlestar Galactica? Damn it! Mm. You know, like that's, mm. but but now you're getting that from the kids too, right? And so, how many times have how many times have we seen Batman reboot in our lifetime compared to when we were really really young? You know what I mean? Like it it did reboot, but not nearly as quickly. Like we've ha- we've had Batman, then they came up with the Batman, and then they had you know what I mean like a, the, just mm-hmm. cartoons alone. They just kept reformatting and reshaming, re- reshaving everything so that it was completely different for like four years earlier than us. Kind of. Oh, thing. oh, so, definitely. And they've done the same thing with Spider Man too. Spider Man, there's been oh, a yeah. Spider Man animated series of one form or another on the air since I think the early nineties. It yeah, literally yeah. never stops except. Maybe a short break every now and then, but they're on, I think right now, like the sixth or seventh Spider-Man animated series since the 1990s. Yeah. And and you and I had the 60s, the blessed we, we, 60s. We only had Spider-Man. the blessed 60s uh, <laughs> Spider-Man, and that was it. Actually, that, no, wait, no, no that's, that's wrong. And Spider-Man is amazing Exactly. Friends. Plus, and also the year before Spider-Man. That was the 80s though, right? So. And the year before Spider-Man and his amazing friends, there was a one-season syndicated Spider-Man series as well, which has very yep. similar animation oh. that Marvel Animation did. And we had really? the live action. Yeah, we did have the live action when that the was 70s. in the 70s. 70s. Yeah, you're right. So, and also in that time, we also had Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yeah. But we didn't actually, the Japanese did. That it was, was only yeah. it was only Japanese. shown yeah. maybe in, actually, it might have been shown in San Francisco and Hawaii, but that's about as close as we ever got to it. Um, right. We got the toys. That's true, we did. That's true. But Leo we didn't Pards get the show. is one of the Shogun Warriors. Yeah. Sorry, right. Sorry to sorry to hijack again. I don't know if you know this, but I created the rating systems for audio drama, at least a, a rating system that we could use based mm-hmm. it on the movie system for that reason. And so I I try to propagate that just so as a teacher, it makes it easier for people to find out, you know, what they think would be their parents would think. Because I had problems. I had parents saying, "Can you not like give us a warning, a heads up if this is something that kids wouldn't be able to appreciate?" And surprisingly, I've had. Some people just jump on it and say, that's great. Thanks, Jack. Because I just give it out. Like, I've got a bunch of, like, uh, graphics that Matt Leon, thank you, Matt, mm-hmm. uh, for putting out there. And some people recorded, like, vocal things and saying, you know, this is this is radio, radio drama, uh, uh, PG-13. But then I have audio drama creators who are, like, like angry that mm-hmm. I made this. Mm, right. Like, just furious. And I'm like why? I don't understand to this day why. Well, why can't it be about how good the content is? I, I don't make I don't tell parents that that when they when they tell me you know what I mean I just try to make it easier for them to decide what's good for their kids to watch. So. Well, they don't want to yeah. feel that they're limited by some rating system that someone else came up with, right? Yeah, but it's it's not like I have any authority to enforce it on them. <laughs> right? It's just an offering. It's not like no, sorry, you can't play audio drama. I own the internet. Yeah, Unless but, you put the like ratings, it doesn't work that way. So. Well, the 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 funny thing is, it always does because any kind of rating system that's come down the pike, mm-hmm. it's usually the the medium usually self generates. Yes, right. Like yeah. the like the comic code mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. the uh, Senate subcommittee hears juvenile delinquency, the Senate said that no, the 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 connection is spurious. The code came from within comics. Uh, the the uh, MPAA and the PMRC were kind of external, mm-hmm. but the movie industry and the uh, the the record industries 
bought into this idea. They, they, they just accepted that rating system kind of like on their own. That's not and quite part of, true. The movie industry well, didn't. The, well, the movie industry did it on its own, but it did it for the same reason that the comics industry did, which was it was a way to smash out. Sorry, it was a way to stamp out a lot of their uh, lower brow competition. It, yeah. it basically prevented the indies from coming in and just basically producing stuff with sex and violence that the studios couldn't show. It was just. It was all about stamping out competition in the end. It wasn't really about. Uh, making movies more wholesome or anything. Oh, oh, and it isn't. And the funny thing is, well, there's two points from that. The first point is that the music industry adopted it for the exact opposite reason, because they knew if you put parental advisory, explicit lyrics, all the kids are going to want to buy the hell out of that. That makes sense. Because they're not supposed to have it. And when you mentioned that, yeah, the movie industry, it was to keep out like some of the indie productions and some of the other more, I'll say questionable, which is also usually means more exciting and tantalizing mm -hmm. <laughs> because in the States you didn't really have obscenity. There weren't dirty movies until like 1973. Okay. You had, you had stag films, but there was no real, there was nothing solid about what constituted, say, porn and legitimate theater until, yeah, like 73, where they, the, the U.S. did their, uh, it was uh, Miller versus California, where they codified their obscenity laws. Mm -hmm. And that was, and yeah, and that was why if you look at, say, the late 60s, you've got all of these, like, movies that came out that are essentially porn. Yep. But get lumped in with regular, like Caligula is the most famous one, but you look at anything that like Russ Myers did, mm -hmm. it's basically everything he did was softcore porn, but Russ Myers is kind of like a king of the B movies. And it's because when he was doing his stuff, Sam Peckinpah kind of falls into that too in a lot, a lot of degrees. There wasn't really this idea of obscenity yet. Mm. So... There was some wiggle room, depending on, as long as you weren't ultra explicit, sometimes you'd get in under the wire. Right. Makes sense. And if you got in, I mean, that was more money for you. Well, and it was, and again, it's it's exactly like you say, because the movies did it for the same reason the Comics Code did. The Comics Code did it to fuck EC, because EC were winning. Hmm. And they were winning with the horror comics, because again, it was explicit, it was shocking, it was... It was now there was some substance to it too, but everybody just remembered like like the the gore and the weird monster twist and all that, and then that's what the movies were trying to avoid because when you get to like the the new Hollywood, mm -hmm. they were getting more explicit and things were getting more violent. You were getting the beginning of the slasher flicks. You were getting like pornographic stuff. When you get to the exploitation stuff of the seventies, there was a lot of stuff like in the the earliest days of 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 that era, like the late sixties, early seventies, that holy shit would not get made today. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Again, great age of experimentation. And uh, so mm. that's why they clamped down on it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but the funny thing is the, they are the people producing the stuff. No, yeah. a better way to phrase it would be, they are the people at the top of the food chain producing the stuff. There you go. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. But it's coming out of the industry. It's not like uh, a lot of people seem to think, it's like the Gestapo comes in and the government slams down on you. No, it's not that. It's, it's like never that. It's like you say, the people at the top, 
wanting to stay there, so they come up with ways to screw over the guys at the bottom who got nothing to lose, so they're just going batshit insane with whatever they produce. Yep. So to be fair, though, rating systems do affect content. I mean, they mm-hmm. have determined how we make movies, for example. Um, the most classic example is the creation of, like, uh, PG, PG-13 back in the 80s when they built all the malls and the mall cinemas. They basically said, well, these are family-friendly environments, so you can't show any R-rated movies. So they had mm-hmm. to create PG-13. And then then everything after that becomes about the, the, the movie producers basically skirting the rules and finding ways around the <laughs> rating system, basically, to get their movies into as many theaters as possible because otherwise they'll lose money. And so the rating system is literally determining the content of the films and the other productions as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's catches to that too because, again, when you get to these weird experimental periods for any kind of medium, uh, they're usually at a point when sales are down mm-hmm. and people are desperate. So they're looking for whatever the, the next big thing will be. And the next big thing is always going to be shocking and disturbing and... And like, oh, my stars and garters, because that's that's how you know you've done something new when everybody freaks the hell out about it because they don't know how to take it. Usually, not always, but okay. I mean, kind of. I mean, the, the I, I, I'm oh. afraid I'm going to have to break this up, folks. I'm getting a cease and desist letter from my wife saying <laughs> I have to go pick her up from work right now. She, so. she can walk. There's only, what, two meters of snow there? Yeah, no, there's no snow. We've had a really? lovely global warming where we get freezing and then warm. We had a rainstorm of like seven degrees, which washed everything away. Huh. And then we had minus 20 with the wind chill today. Hmm. So it's been like green, well, sorry, dead grass and sometimes hot and cold weather. But um, that being said, she has a cold herself and walking about an hour to get home would not be fun for her, I would guess. Right, right. Oh, wow. I can see that. Well, you're you're a good man, Jack. Go get your wife. Well, thank you so much. I wish I could stay. I really do. Yes. And thanks for letting me join once again. Okay. Nope. Thanks for coming on and giving us your thoughts. And uh, we'll talk to you next time, Jack. Thanks. Bye now. Bye. So my thoughts, again, are that rating systems, though, I mean, the irony is that most of them have no legal enforcement behind them whatsoever. I mean, yeah, I don't think any of them really have they're all created as you say within the industry yet they end up taking on the force of law because the top dogs enforce them anyway yeah they they do until they don't mm-hmm. uh case in point you run into stuff like famously with uh stanley publishing a uh story about drug use and spider-man right that's true the code the code totally forbade it went out without the uh code stamp at that point, nobody probably noticed. Like, this is 20 years into it, and it was already losing power. And when you get to the 80s, the comics code didn't matter. Nobody knew what that little stamp up in the corner was anyway. Well, yes, and let's let's be honest, though. He's also top of the heap. Like, yep. I mean, when the industry leaders do it, especially since there's no actual law against it, they can totally get away with it. Yeah, because you're basically just looking at, like... um the biggest problem you'll run into is public backlash. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Stan Lee was asked to run that issue by the government itself. And mm. there was no public backlash. I mean, people were a little shocked to see it. But then again, I mean, they understood the point of it was, you know, drugs are bad. Don't do drugs. And everyone agreed yeah. with that. 
Well, pretty much everyone. Almost yeah. everyone. Okay. Almost, <laughs> almost everyone. I mean, you're right. I mean, some people can play with it and they do eventually lose power. Um, codes mm. don't last forever. But then again, I mean, the TV's ratings code has been there forever, like for decades, and it's definitely not going away. Yeah, except when it does. Because, again, if you remember uh, going into the 90s, mm-hmm. by like the mid to late 90s, you were allowed on American television, Canadian television too, to, you had swearing and you had toplessness. Mm, a little bit, like, yeah. Inf- infamously, it was uh, NYPD Blue showed the fat guy's ass, and that was just a delight. Yep. And and when uh, Rick Schroeder got his 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 part on that show during the the later couple seasons the rumor is that he had to be taught how to swear because he couldn't talk tough enough for the show right and this went on for a couple years the only thing that ruined it was as you put it when we saw janet jackson's pasty during circus maximus Mm -hmm. and then everybody was outraged oh my god it was almost a bare breast oh my stars and gars and then all of that went away yeah overnight Because of public outrage. And it was the kind of thing that they didn't, nobody gave a shit about prior until that specific moment when the, the audience decided to lose his shit. And then that was, that was essentially the end of that. Well, they went too far. And so uh, in in an American religious ceremony, they went too far. And so therefore it had to be put in his place. Yeah, and it'll be like that right up until somebody like shows nipples again and then nobody loses their mind and then everybody will do it until something happens that makes everybody lose their mind and then it happens, you know, they'll go the other way. Like, Well, I, that's true. I've got to admit, I am surprised, like even just watching the Orville recently, how many times the word bitch comes up in Orville and they, they definitely, they're not going to go, you know, down the, uh, I don't think there's any shits in there and I Definitely, there's no fucks in there, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they have their limits, but they're going to go for, we'll call it lesser swear words that still a decade or two ago would have been a little bit verboten on a general family show. Yeah, because you got to remember part of that idea of uh, society's not a thing. It's a bunch of groups bumping into each other. When enough of them align against a certain thing, like, say, nipples or a certain word, if there's enough of them to tip the scales of, of against the groups that are okay with that, they become bad Mm. when it goes the other way, it's okay again. So that's why like on network television, I can now call you a bitch, but I can't light up a smoke. Right. And it's, it's just because those standards kind of come and go and they'll keep doing that. At some point, somebody will have like a, will have like a smoke. Mm Mm-hmm. And they'll put it in context of like, say, it'll be the villain. Right, right. And the villain, and then that'll be okay. And then you'll see smoking creep its way back in or vaping or whatever, whatever, eye doping or whatever the thing is at that time that, you know, the the kids, quote unquote, are, are into. And it'll, it comes and goes. Like that's, again, one of the problems uh, Jack mentioned mm-hmm. with the rating system for audio drama when people said, well, why don't you do one for quality? Quality is incredibly subjective. Yes, it is. Appropriateness is as well, but you can pin appropriateness down. Yes, based on the current societal mores, yeah. Yeah, so you can say, well, you'll get like a Q rating. uh, That'll give you two dicks and and a fuck, but you can't show pubic hair and nobody gets to shit on anybody. 
and and you can do and then people the rating system you'll look at it and go okay well this is this is there there's going to be like three dicks and that's just past my dick limit so i will not be interested in this so the rating system is is working mm. but even then there's also a lot of subjectivity because that's one of the things the uh, mpaa takes flack for with the movie ratings is nobody knows how they come up with those ratings mm. and there's subjectivity and there's cases of of people who've done things like just resubmitted their movie six months later and got a different rating what's more common in the industry is for people to um submit the movie with stuff they know the mpaa will hate and then they say well you know if we remove this stuff will you give us you know the rating we want the mpaa says okay sure no problem they started a negotiation and so the stuff that was never going to be in the movie to begin with is removed and they get the level they want yeah and that's exactly that and that's what they do because again the movie rating system it's supposed to be pretty pat it's supposed to be pretty accurate Mm -hmm. but there's still that subjectivity and that's that's one of the things you always run into with um yep with with any kind of control measure oh yeah of course of course you're gonna get that um and so but that's an old game with you know sensors and network sensors and everything else and movie sensors that has been played for a very very long time yeah like I said, the earliest disclaimer I could find is at the uh, beginning of the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. Is there a disclaimer in front of that thing? Yes, there is. There's a bit. I think it's one of the actors. You know, forgive me. I haven't seen it for a while. That he comes out and makes the announcement. You're about to watch something that presents a man who commits an affront to God. And if you're easily shocked or if you're frightened, you may want to step away from not watch, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Yeah, okay. of course that, and that comes from the the like the old school traveling spook shows and and like carnivals and that. I was going to say that's go, there to up the mood. Yeah, and that's what they used to do with the old ones, where they would say that those with a weak heart or pregnant women may not wish to see this, for it is truly a shocking affront to God. <laughs> and and awesome, it's, it's, and that's what people would do. Like that's the disclaimer. Like the rating system, a lot of times works nefariously backwards. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the uh, famously uh, the the guys in Motley Crue mm-hmm. were told their album had to have the the sticker, and they said, "Well, what's it say?" It says, "Warning: Parental Advisory, Offensive Lyrics." And they said, "Fucking slap that on, you know, put twelve of them on, because that's you know." As soon as people think they're going to see something they shouldn't see, it just, yeah, it ups the titillation. It yep. makes it more exciting. Yep. Which, which is why rating systems have always, almost always had the opposite effect. Yeah. I can't help but wonder, though, if the internet as a side effect is actually going to kill all of that. And I'll tell you why. It's because we've got an entire generation that's kind of growing up with access to everything. Like right. your average 10 year old can get access to literally the hardest core porn in existence or the nicest stuff in existence if their parents aren't keeping an eye on them. And despite net yeah. nannies and everything, other software programs and that, that stuff still happens constantly. Uh, and, yeah, it's... and so my point is this is, is that for better, or for worse, they grew up with a much wider variety of, I guess you could say content than we do. 
or Dave? I think you're I think you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I would commit to the idea that it's it's totally different because we had ways to to get stuff too and it's because the 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 crackdowns mm-hmm. happen in waves. Like if you talk kids today can see the hardest core porn. Well, when I was a kid, you could just find everybody's dad's stash. And when the folks were out, you could look, look, or you found like, like the one thing kids today won't get is forest porn. <laughs> and you're, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know about. exactly what you're talking about. Because... Or you, you go through a field and you find somebody's stash that they had to ditch. That's exactly um, right. Oh, I live I, next I, to a conservation area, so. <laughs> oh, uh, you know. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I found more than my share of forest porn back in the day. Yeah. And. And I'll tell you, even though I might get some angry emails from my folks, when I was like seven or eight years old, mm. you could walk into like Max Milk and buy yourself a pop and a porn mag. Like they were, they were just out on the rack and most places didn't, didn't ask. They either didn't care or they just assumed you were picking it up for your dad. Cause back then you could also go and buy smokes quote unquote for your folks too. Right. And then that that becomes like outrageous and it changes. But so you're you're right about the the internet, but I I'm I'm not going to commit that it, it's hugely different. It is the volume is 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 different. The variety is different. But I think the principle's the same, and you see kind of the same reflex because there's always people who use that as an excuse for wanting to bring down the hammer on the internet and wanting to like eliminate net neutrality and stuff. Is you know think of the children. Well, here's the thing, right? The thing is, is that right from a young age now, young people are being exposed to, even through more innocent pursuits like just reading fan fiction about their favorite cartoons, Rule 34 still applies, right? Eventually, porn is going to creep in there somewhere. Or you're going to get stuff with with, uh, where the characters start having sex with each other and things like that. And so they are getting exposed to it at a much younger age than I did, and I suspect... Maybe you did. I don't know. But we'll say your average person, even of our age, is not, was not exposed to um, sexual activity and the variety of it quite as young as they are being today or can be today very easily thanks to the internet. Yeah, again, I'm, I don't think you're exactly wrong, but I don't know if that's the, the whole story. Because like I say, again, I remember when I was a kid, it, it was available. Because you got to remember, like I grew up, yeah, dude, reading, you had a little like, slightly different childhood than your average person, though. Uh, but I had other friends that shared that childhood. So that's why I'm saying I think they're, 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 there's kind of more wiggle room. But my point is, is that because of that, I have a funny feeling they're not going to consider some of what the modern audience considers, you know, risque or that. They're not going to consider it quite as bad because just like, eh. if you grew if you grew up with the, like, fire hose of in, the internet uh, porn industry <laughs> pointed at you, you just kind of become really a nerd to the whole thing. You just basically kind of, you know, you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, people are having sex. Okay, who cares? Um, yeah. And, and it and kind I of just that... goes on from there. People are swearing. Okay, who cares? Yeah, but remember too, it, it, again, it'll be cyclic because 
different generations will be offended by different things. And there's yes. so many, only so many things. So it comes back around. So the same generation now that, you know, isn't going to be freaked out by any kind of depraved sex act ever, which means 10 years from now, you might be seeing some really unfortunate stuff during Circus Maximus. Right. That's the same generation. That's like smoking. You're worse than Hitler. Yeah, so, maybe. Um, there'll there'll be definitely some weird stuff that will go on because they'll have different mm-hmm. ideas about what's socially proper and not, and smoking might be one of them. Although well, it already is. That's that's why I use that as my example. Yeah, but considering the number of young people that vape right now, I don't really mm-hmm. think it's going to be. It, this is sound weird, but I don't. I think smoking will stay bad, but I think vaping is just taking its place and nobody really knows what to do about it. And it's just going to be there. Yeah, but you look at it this way. The people who are into vaping Mm -hmm. aren't having sex. Like amongst like amongst like youngsters, the people, the amount of people having sex goes down. So you'll see vaping come back and then sex will be bad. And then it'll flip again for the next bunch because uh, you, you always want to not be your parents. Right. And you do it by being your parents with different window dressing. So that's Maybe. why I say, you know, that kind of that kind of thing, it'll come and go. Actually, that is one of the weird things they've discovered is that p- young people actually are having sex later and they're actually having progressively less sex. Yeah. Uh, and birth rates are going down and people are showing less interest in that. Yeah, we're becoming Japan. Yeah, and Japan is again another another example where like nobody has sex. They all think about it. They like, all like are constantly titillated by it, but they're not actually bothering to do it. Not as much as no, they used because... to anymore. <laughs> no, because everybody's afraid. Wait, having sex requires six more people than we have in an octopus. <laughs> I don't want to bother with this. Jeez. <laughs> Too much work. Oh, exactly, exactly. So, so yes, okay, we, we better get back on track, but um, I'm sure our audience is enjoying this discussion of sex with octopus, but, but anyway. Um, I'm not linking. My, well, my, my point is... No, I won't. My point is... No, I can! I can link to octopus. But I can I can link to octopus sex because it's classic literature. Remember Dreams of the Fisherman's Wife? I was going to say, that's not literature, it's just a picture. <laughs> but okay, you can, you definitely can link to that. It's, that actually is a classic fun. image. It's fine art. It's exactly right. And depending on and the era. Woman, that's right. And it's a woman having sex with an octopus and complete with sound effects. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. It, well, the Japanese. Oh, the Japanese. <laughs> anyway. Um, so we better get moving on. So okay. um, what's the next one on your list of law, inter- entertainment, media interactions? This sort of starts bumping up against one that's another kind of biggie. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, it ties in sort of to, like, getting away with shit. Right. Would be the idea of slander, liable, and parody. Oh, okay. That's an interesting trio. Yeah, because it's a very fine and subjective line between all of them. It is. And it's it's another one of the things uh, for people playing at home. Uh, slander is when you talk smack about somebody. Mm-hmm. Libel is when you write smack about somebody. Yep. Uh, parody is when you make fun of somebody. Yep, or something. Yeah, it's uh, and and it's it's a difficult thing to broach because it run because parody runs up against slander and libel mm-hmm. a fair a fair bit, and it also bumps into copyright. Well, parody definitely bumps into copyright a whole lot. Yeah. 
because um the idea of making fun of something mm-hmm. of, of making light of what was the uh the definition of parody was to imitate make fun of comment on a work or style or author using satirical or ironic imitation mm-hmm. you're you're making fun we all know what it is yes. we've all all yeah. seen animaniacs yep it 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 gets difficult now now copyright has a uh, uh what they call fair usage mm-hmm. as as a clause as a subsection which means I can use some of the stuff, say, you produce under specific circumstances. So yes. if I'm if I'm like doing a review of your book, I can use excerpts from your book to demonstrate the points I'm making in my review. Right. And as a teacher, I can actually use sections from a book or movie or whatever. I can show them in class under certain circumstances or even distribute them in class under certain circumstances. There's a special set of education fair use rules that are there to guide we teachers and what we can do and what we can't. Yeah. Which is good. It's I'm very glad that it's there because otherwise it would be very difficult to give examples in some cases. Well, and that's true. Now, the funny thing about this is Canada doesn't offer parody as a, a clause to copyright. Well, we didn't, but I thought we do now. I thought that that was changed when the they changed the copyright laws. Bill C-61, wasn't it, about four years ago, three or four years ago? I thought that they actually changed the rules for fair use and, and parody and such at that time. Yeah, it might have, because the, the states in Britain had uh, parody as kind of a workaround. Yes. We, we didn't, which is weird, considering how much comedy we produce here in Canada, how much parody we actually do. Yeah, but that's why comedy shows like This Hour Has 22 Minutes, um, for example, famously would never like do outright uh, parodies of shows like Saturday Night Live would, for example. Like Saturday Night Live might do a show that was literally like, here's Black Jeopardy, for example. We would never do that on a Canadian broadcast because they couldn't do that. Oh, no, they've they've done it. They would. No, they but they wouldn't call it Black Jeopardy, though. They would do something like it, but they would never actually do it because they weren't allowed to. Well, see, there's the catch. They weren't allowed. They they weren't specifically allowed to, but they weren't specifically not allowed to. Because we still had that fair use doctrine. It's just that we didn't have anything about parody ironclad in it. Exactly. And that was the problem, right? The CBC lawyers weren't willing to take the chance. Oh, sometimes they did because they, they, uh. Back in 22 minutes, back in the 90s, did, uh, uh, oh, I forget her, forget the character's name, but they did her up like Xena. Yeah, Xena Warrior Princess. Oh, yeah, I know who you it mean. Was, it was Marg De- Warrior Princess, and she'd go, like, acting like, like Xena with the uh, East Coast accent, yeah. you know, basically manhandle politicians. Yep. And the idea was, is, is it wasn't, um... But she called herself something else, Warrior Princess, but she didn't call herself Zena. Marge, whatever. But she didn't call herself Zena, is the point. She dressed as Zena. No, but she wore the outfit. She wore the outfit, but no one would mistake her for Zena. And it was very clear it was a a cute parody, and they specifically didn't use the name. Like, they skirted it, basically. But they still weren't willing to actually say, you know, this is... Zena, but it's not really. 
Like in the States, for example, they can do stuff like that. They could actually have a character mm -hmm. pretending to be Xena Warrior Princess, but it's very clear because this is a uh, a large black man that it's not Xena Warrior Princess. This is just someone making fun of it. Yeah, we, we would do it here. It would come under that idea of um, of uh, not not direct parody, but the idea of sort of informing by way of pointing out the foibles mm, that's true and again like like we, we would get that it's kind of we would do it sort of on the defense against like the slander or liable thing that parody offers we would kind of take it in more in that angle mm, exactly that it, it was the idea because because slander is only illegal if it's wrong yes like that and, and that's a big a big catch and this is how because Canada would do a lot of political mm -hmm. comedy, and that was how we, we would sort of get away with it, is that you're using exaggeration to point things out about the people and that you're, that you're making fun of. Yeah, exactly. Which is essentially what parody is, mm -hmm. but we didn't have anything specific, whereas like the States and Britain did. Oh, yeah. Well, in the States, though, I mean, one could argue they take parody... Uh... A little too far sometimes like for example the porn industry is famous for doing this especially the modern porn industry literally just does outright fan works and then just calls them parody like well, outright fan works of a type <laughs> <laughs> well okay they're well it depends i mean they did one that was um a uh, star trek one when this is not X Star Trek the Gen Next Generation or something like that they called it or Star Trek the Next Generation parody but here's the thing right everyone involved was such huge Star Trek fans that they did it as an actual episode in the show they scripted uh -huh. it as an actual episode of the show they um they even I was I because I remember there was this the big hoopla when it came out they even actually told fans well no this episode occurs between it right after this particular episode <laughs> of the actual show and they brought in a Picard impersonator who was like a professional Picard impersonator um, who used a stunt dick. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and then the whole thing was, you know, some virus made all the crew have sex with each other, whatever. But all the actors really mm. got into it and they were wearing full makeup and they did actual decent looking sets and, you know, the whole thing. And like, there have been like superhero parodies and I mean it's astounding how high quality and how into it they get with some of these quote unquote parodies, which are really the real thing just with sex. Well yeah, and that's that's the the angle, that's the exaggeration that makes it, you know, mm -hmm. not a direct ripoff. Exactly. But wink. Wink <laughs> wink nudge nudge. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, back in the old days they'd at least call it Space Trek or something. No, 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 they just call it Star Trek, the XXX generation or something like that. I mean, they just literally just go straight in for it and say, Oh, it's parody. Um, yeah, and, and but and that goes too, you can kind of get away with that because if you remember for trademarking, mm -hmm. if I call it Star Trek a porn parody, there's not gonna be a lot of confusion with my actual brand. Yes, that's very true. And at that time, anyway, Paramount was, this is pre-Axanar, so Paramount was letting pretty much everyone make fan films, so why not the porn stuff, too? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Shudder. Um, well, because there's, there's another good example of that, too, though. Oh, what? Uh, the best example I can think of is the Air Pirates. Really? How yeah. so? 
Okay, what last gasp used to they did a, what was it Air Pirates Funnies? Okay, is what what they called it, and a lot of it was like Disney parodies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think we've mentioned this in the show before, but in, in case you 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 haven't kept up, they did a story. The idea being how everybody in these like Disney books and that nobody has like parents or kids; they're all like aunts and nephews and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that Mickey's uh, two nephews were actually him and Minnie's illegitimate children. Right. And the story was that the two kids were trying to negotiate for their part of the empire because they'd been kind of written out of all of the profits because they're not, you know, they're not the actual inheritors. They're they're quote unquote nephews. Mm -hmm. And they did this big story about that. And in 1971, Disney took them to court. Mm-hmm. And and tried to sue their ass off. Now, if you've ever seen the movie Comic Book Confidential, there's a really good section about this. Because mm-hmm. they said what they what they always kind of suspected was was at the time the thing that pushed Disney over the edge was the uh, sex scene, right? Between Mickey and Minnie while they were being like uh, held hostage in in the the the, the kids' fortress. Uh huh. But they got taken to court. And it went on for a long time because it was uh, Dan O'Neill, uh, Bobby London, Gary Haldron, and Todd Richards were the were the people indicted. There was a fifth guy who did the comic, but he wasn't involved in this story, so he wasn't part of the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And Dan O'Neill, who I believe is the guy that you, you see in Comic Book Confidential, I haven't seen it for a long time, so mm-hmm. he talks about that. Because he, he notoriously was really upset by this. He said, it's parody. And Disney said, it's a ripoff. And he said, it's parody. And they said, well, no, because those are our actual characters. And he said, yeah, they have to be. Otherwise, they're no joke. Mm-hmm. The example he used in, in, in the interview on in the movie was, well, if I draw a comic making fun of like Ronald Reagan, who was president at the time, I have to draw it to look like Ronald Reagan. Otherwise, there's no joke. People say that guy who kind of looks like Ronald Reagan did something weird. It's not. And this went back and forth. And eventually they lost and were fined like two million dollars. Ouch. They they settled out of court. Essentially, uh, Disney didn't really get too much money out of them, but shut them down. And that was kind of their goal. And that was their goal anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of these big cases where like the parody thing didn't didn't protect them. Mm hmm. That they they it, it came back, the that yeah it was kind of you're you're sort of pushing things a little bit. I think the idea, um, from Disney's side was they were afraid that if people saw this because it did look like an old Disney comic. Yes, yes, it did. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. That they were afraid that people might see this and mistake it for a legitimate one, and that would damage their brand. And that was that was again. Why they uh, why they went after them so hard? Well, also in the seventies, Disney was not doing that well. Yeah, yeah, but you're not going to get two million dollars out of Last Gasp Comics. It was like, well, no, five guys I don't think it was about that either. But it was more about <laughs> Disney has to be protective of their brand at that point because they're vulnerable, so they need to attack everything. Basically, I mean, a lot yeah. of these often happen when the company is, as we've discussed either about to launch something new, which they need the old IP for and they can't risk any uh, issues with, or the company is just feeling vulnerable in general and somebody needs to look like they're actually doing something, so this is what they do. Yeah, that makes sense. 
because there's about to be a big shakeup in the company at some point. But anyway, before we run, run out of time, I think you've got a few other points you want to bring up. So let's go on to the next one. Okay, I think uh, one of the other weird things... Uh, well, I think we can kind of skip to the uh, the big one. Okay, let's do it. That is sort of the other... When you put all of this together, you get what sort of ends up being the other way entertainment runs afoul of the authorities. Mm-hmm. And that gets you to the idea of censorship. Haven't we already covered that in a way? Uh, not we, We've, again, I think not exactly properly. Okay. Because we've we've talked about like the 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 copyright how copyright used to maintain control and trademark used to maintain control of an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get the idea of like um, parody and rating system, and that are ways that the world say around entertainment mm-hmm. affects the entertainment itself. Mm-hmm. So a rating system starts pigeoning holding things in certain categories. Definitely, yeah. For, for better or worse, because again, if it wasn't for the uh, PMRC, you wouldn't have gangster rap. Okay. And it's, it's again, because even, even though you start cataloging things, the idea is that a rating system keeps question material down, but what it actually does is it gives you another category for it. Mm, true. So music could be suggestive and still get play. And still be sold in record stores. But because everything get lumped together, you sort of had to maintain a minimum standard. But as soon as you have like a parental advisory, I can say whatever the hell I want now. Right. That's it's true. Just gonna go in the grown up section kind of thing. Right. Well, this so podcast will be labeled explicit when it goes out because we've used the F word. Yes, we have. Ironically talking about the F word. Exactly. Which is almost Carlin esque, but it is anyway. <laughs> but censorship is kind of what you get when the the powers that be, whoever they happen to be at the time, just kind of brings down the hammer and outright butts out whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that again is it's it's the the nuclear option as in the vernacular of the day, right? Of uh, of dealing with. Uh, dealing with stuff of tamping ideas down of dealing with questionable intent that you just eliminate it. Mm-hmm. Cause like, like you said, a, a, uh, when you started having Metroplexes and that and malls, a high, like a high rating, like a restricted rating for your movie could be the kiss of death. Yeah. Well, financially but, anyway. Yeah. But it didn't mean that you couldn't do that movie. Right. You, you might not, and if you did it, because there was a lot of like R-rated, like uh, direct-to-video stuff in the eighties, mm-hmm. and it was because they were they do lower-budget stuff, yeah, because they weren't going to get as big a, an audience, but you could still do it. Censorship is when you just can't do it at all. That's when somebody says nope, 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 and there's enough of a uh, enough force behind it that you just can't produce whatever it is you want to produce, right. That makes sense. Yeah, because we talked about that. That's essentially what the satanic panic was. Yeah, yeah. With society basically saying, yeah, that's enough. Nope, none of that. Well, yeah, and and, and now the problem that they had is it, it, it didn't get as much traction as they had hoped. But that idea, like, to, to use it with the Dungeons and Dragons thing, mm-hmm. that there were book burnings. Yeah, there were. 
there were there were protests there were at my at my high school you weren't allowed to play dungeons and dragons right because we were going to start an after school gaming club and they said nope no dungeons and dragons so again we just played warhammer and car wars and they were okay with that yep and but it was again it was at a that that the satanic panic was broaching the censorship because you had enough of these groups that were backing together Mm -hmm. you had led by the the idea of the uh of the the religious right Mm -hmm. that had been all pooled together to to try to as they would say you know straighten out society so you had this attempt at censorship same thing with um Mm -hmm. uh when you got when you got to video games at the end of the decade yeah where you had this idea that there were outright attempts to ban certain games that ultimately led to again another rating system mm-hmm. but it was it was that idea that that certain things just should not be done yeah but that's i mean that's where society groups as you say eventually mm-hmm. does have its limits right i mean people push those limits but society will basically say you know we just don't think collectively that this is a good idea for your average person to be watching if you want to watch it over there in the corner go ahead but we're just not going to let you know, your average person see this without having to actually go look for it or see it at all depending it sort of does but again it takes those weird leaps like um when you put it that way it puts me in mind of the uh what the hell is it um shoot uh Mm -hmm. friendly freddy's was it what the the conic shop friendly freddy's i don't what do you mean oh is that the name of it because what ends up happening and this is this is where you get because like what you're saying Mm -hmm. is kind of what a rating system does yes that's the intent anyway is to moderate that and basically say well if you really want it it's over here Mm mm-hmm but there's a, there's there's again that like I say this this extra level of nope just no and it was uh uh Michael Coria worked at I think it was Friendly Freddy's or something Freddy's it was a comic shop in Illinois mm-hmm. that they got busted and they were they they were they were like run up on a obscenity charges right for selling certain comic books right oddly enough mo- mostly by like last gasp as I recall. And that, because that was what brought Omaha the Cat Dancer to people's attention, to people's attention, because it was that. And the idea was that he was selling them, period. Right. That this brooch of sending, it wasn't that he was selling the kids or anything. It was just that he was selling them, period. And the idea was that, you know, this sort of material should just not be viewed by anyone. Right. And, and that was what he got, he got busted on. Now he was cleared and that was where the idea of the comic book legal defense fund started up. Ah, okay. Because he got donations from a lot of people and there were a lot of, um, a lot of cartoonists that did charity books. I actually have a few of them down in my collection Mm -hmm. to raise funds for his defense, for his lawyers and that. And after he, he got like acquitted, they had so much money left over. They started up um an actual or a pool an organization for other people who run into problems like this and that's where it comes from that makes sense yeah and that's what that was that wasn't just like a ratings thing that was a a a censorship thing that was the idea that you should just nobody should be allowed to read this at all ever Mm -hmm. well i 
think censorship definitely affects things. There's no question on that. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, but I think the worst is actually self-censorship. I think that a lot of artists, because they don't want to risk running into censorship, will actually self-censor more than the actual code requires, so to speak. Right. I think that's something that I tend to see more, is that people are worried about censorship, but they don't quite understand it. And they're just like, well, okay, so I won't include any sex or any swearing or any of that stuff, just because they don't know how the audience is going to react or how they're going to take it. And so they just play it safe, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's... It also gets gets to that idea too um, of why you're producing what you produce. Mm -hmm. That's true. Like if I'm if I'm producing a work that I think has value in and of itself, mm -hmm. I'm less likely to do that than if I'm trying to produce something that my intent is to sell. Right. Uh, it's also again, you get that idea of of what kind of story am I producing? Who am I producing it for? And what effect do I want? Right. All true. Because that leads to stuff. Like I said, um, you talk specifically comic books. I've been like a fan of like the undergrounds for probably longer than I should have been. Mm -hmm. And I, I find it's, it's, and they, they get critiqued for their like gratuitousness and it, that's not unfounded. Um, but it's the idea that um, within that, there's also a certain honesty mm -hmm. that I find a lot of, um, more commercial stuff or more big budget stuff doesn't have. Right. So it'll be like one of the, uh, one of like the famous things that you'll see in, in like wacky sitcoms. And that is that did they, or didn't they? Well, in, in an underground book. Yeah, they did. Cause we watched it for four pages. Right. Right. You know, you get the big fight scene. Is this guy dead? Did he get away? No, I'm looking at him and half his head is missing and I'm looking into the brain cavity. He's not coming back. Yep. <clears throat> but it's that idea, and this is where I think your higher end, more restricted stuff can have value mm -hmm. because you lose that ambiguity. And if I'm going to put sex and violence into my story and I'm going to do it gratuitously, I have to deal with it. Yes. You know, it's 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 not like um, I'm going to poop on superheroes for a minute, but like the average superhero comic where you'll put in just massive amounts of violence and property damage, but there really isn't any lasting consequence. Yes. Well, though that's a side effect of uh, the nature of superhero storytelling in general. It's, it's that it's, it's because a lot of them came out under the comics code. It's also the idea of having your cake and eating it too. Yeah. I agree with that. So we can, we can have the gritty violence, but not have to actually deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, oh no, Batman's knocked out, and we show him get up, and he's got like a bruised jaw. Uh, what the hell? But he never gets lasting brain damage from being thumped in the head so many times, kind of thing. Right, right. No, no, I mean, that's true. That's definitely true. Um, and also, I think it comes back to this, though. Remember that uh, a lot of what we consider, uh, how can I put this, bad in violence is actually the consequences, the effects of violence, not the violence itself. Yeah. So two people like beating on each other is not bad until one of them only has half a face and then it suddenly becomes bad. And so in North America, we've generally solved that problem by just skipping the whole consequences of violence thing. 
So we have characters beat and shoot and stab each other and all this stuff, but we never actually see anyone really die or have really horrible graphic consequences because that's what would make the public uncomfortable and we want to skip that. Yeah, and, and un, unless, of course, it's one of those periods where making the public uncomfortable is our goal. Yes, that's very true. But for that, most, that comes around. But for most general audience entertainment, that's not the case. Yeah. Well, especially, too, if you're doing, like, a mass entertainment. Mm -hmm. If I want the biggest audience possible, I tamp all that down so that I'm not going to disturb stuff and not going to age out the people I want to sell, like, toys and t-shirts to. Depending on what you're showing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And like I say, I'm not exactly poo-pooing that kind of thing because mm. there's plenty of stuff in that category I enjoy. But it's also that idea, it's kind of that defense of the more questionable material that you can actually use that to, like, valid effect. Right. Right. And so... I agree that that stuff can be necessary sometimes. I really can. Mm -hmm. um, and that everything should be on the table as long as it's suitable for the story. And as long as it fits the, as long as it fits the audience that it's targeted towards. Right. Um, this is one of the reasons why I like some of the Japanese stuff. And recently I've been reading a lot of, um, Japanese men's comics. I'm trying to remember what the actual term for them is, but basically the stuff that's targeted towards um, salarymen, like guys in their like oh. 40s, 50s, etc. Because right. Seinen, which is the young men's comics, runs out at about 35 demographically, but then there's right. actually uh, another classification of men's comics that come after that. In fact, I think there's two actually, because I think there's like a middle-aged yeah. guy and there's a senior's comics believe it or not they actually exist in japan and i've been reading some of the stuff that i've found again not a lot of this stuff gets translated but some interesting stuff that's meant for middle-aged guys and a lot of it's mostly about sports and gambling and stuff that middle-aged guy japanese men would find interesting but some right. of it can get pretty um how can i phrase this some of this can get a little bit darker and a little bit more <laughs> graphic than you would find with younger men's stuff. Yeah, all those Pachinko comics. Um, oh, well, no, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. My current favorite, I'll mention this one, is one called Inspector Kurokichi. Mm -hmm. Have you ever oh. read that? Oh, that sounds familiar. I think it's called Inspector Kurokichi. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, um, and basically what it is is it's about a super corrupt cop. Like, he's mm -hmm. super corrupt. But the thing is, is that he's, in his own way, that he's the good guy because he's actually taking down, like, corrupt politicians and people who are worse than him. Right. And that's kind of his thing, is that he uses the corruption to root out the even more corrupt elements of society and profit at it at the same time. <laughs> Right. And it involves really questionable stuff happening, like really morally ambiguous things are happening in that comic. But it's very well written and it's very well played out. And it's it's interesting. But again, it's at a maturity level that doesn't really suit a younger audience. And that's fine. Yeah. Okay. And so that would be my example of a comic that you don't want 
the younger audience necessarily reading, not just because it's bad for them, it's just because they won't really understand it and get it. It's just not something that's for them. Yeah. But I think there needs to be space for stories like that. Right. I mean, I presume, you know, maybe that there are American novels or something like that that are that kind of thing. I'm guessing, I don't know, I haven't run across any, but I'm guessing that kind of thing exists. There's a huge number of, like, crime novels being written, so some stuff must be along those lines somewhere. But anyway, I'm rambling. But the point is, the point <laughs> is this, is that I do think that there needs to be space for stuff that is morally questionable. Yeah. But should not be outright banned because there's validity in exploring those ideas. Yeah. Okay. And when I say this, I'm not talking about, you know, child porn. I'm not talking about like the hate stuff and that I'm talking about, you know, good old fashioned, normal sex and violence, but just some, in some <laughs> cases taken to different levels that aren't appropriate for young people. Yeah. Or even just well, see, going into morally gray areas. Yeah, I can see that because that was my gripe with them. Um, because basically everything I've ever enjoyed in life, mm -hmm. it, somebody's been trying to tell me how bad it is for me. But it's that idea that, see, this is why I don't believe in like outright censorship. Mm -hmm. Because you, you lose some of that. You lose some of that idea of going somewhere new. Mm -hmm. And even if it's, yeah, even if it's like, like totally disturbing, there can be, there can be a value or a usefulness to that. Mm, exactly. Uh, cause that's one of the things that bothers me about a lot of, uh, especially like movies, anything that where they're trying to find that kind of happy middle ground audience is a lot of events will happen that don't have the impact they should mm. because you tone things down. Like violence is a good example. Hmm. Um, being North Americans, it's the main example. Yeah, because a lot of times it it and this is we've talked about commando ruining action movies that you put it in a safe spot where you're getting all the titillation but none of the tension. Mm -hmm. And I think that's bad because it it kind of gets at what you were saying before that we take out the consequence of it. Yep, but we still have the 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 happy upbeat i guess lack of better word side to it and often the great irony is that's what censorship rules and rating systems actually cause to happen yeah i would say that those censorship rules are the real reason why we tend to take out the consequences of violence but we're leaving the actual act itself in yeah and so it's an unintended side effect of doing that kind of thing is that you create stuff that might actually be worse than what you're trying to prevent. Uh-huh. Like, 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 like we said, that's what happened with music, that all the really horrible offensive music happened after the rating system because now it could. Exactly. So the people, the people that were crying for some kind of control – actually ended up screwing themselves and resulting in the exact opposite of what they were uh what they were trying to do. Well, the law of unintended consequences is strong. <laughs> um especially when it talks about censorship. Because as you said yeah. way long way earlier in this episode, the second you tell people they can't have something, they want it more than ever. Yeah. In fact, sometimes yeah. it's better to say, "No, no, go right ahead." 
and then they'll think, oh, well, it's not special anymore, so they won't want it. And you know what's funny? Mm. That's a South Park episode. Actually, it's also an event that happened to the King of Prussia. Uh-huh. Uh, where I think I might have mentioned this one on the show before, where the the Prussians, this was back in like the 18th century, the Prussians wanted to vary their crops. And mm-hmm. so this will make sense in a second, folks. And so the Prussian, uh, the king of Prussia basically said, okay, I want you people to start eating these things that we got from like uh, the UK called potatoes. We think they'd be a really good source of nutrition. They're not vulnerable to the same problems that wheat is. Yes, I think we're going to have this new source of nutrition called potatoes. And the peasants absolutely hated it. They wouldn't touch them. And they told them, we want you to try potatoes. They're like, nope, sorry, we're not interested. These things are gross. We're not going to touch hmm. them. And so the uh, the king of Prussia said, fine. All right. And he thought about it and he said, okay, you know something? We were wrong. You know, you guys don't deserve these potatoes. And so <laughs> he said, the potato is now a royal vegetable and only the nobility is allowed to eat it. Okay. And then he, <laughs> and then he told the guards that guarded the new royal potato patches to guard them, but not very well. And sure enough, within a very short time, there was a whole underground uh, potato um, growing and selling operation happening in Prussia. And everybody (laughs) wanted to try these potatoes and everyone wanted access to these potatoes. And then eventually he just dropped the whole thing because everybody loved potatoes. Mm -hmm. But first he had to make them think that they were getting away with something, that it was something special that they weren't supposed to have before they actually wanted them. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. So, what happened in the South Park episode? That was the uh, Chin Pokemon episode. Oh, right. Where all the kids were addicted to Chin Pokemon, and the parents were like, how do we get them to stop? And they said, they all got into it too, and talked about how cool it was. And the kids were all like, oh, I guess they like it. It's going to be stupid. And they gave up. Yep, exactly. That's exactly right. I often <laughs> wonder, uh, because we've just legalized pot in Canada, I don't think legalizing it is going to stamp it out by any means not at all but i do wonder if actually some of the consumption rates might actually go down because some people are going to be like well you know it's just like this is not special anymore so you know who cares (laughs) then again alcohol not being special has not stopped everyone from drinking like fish so therefore i think that uh, probably the same thing might happen with pot but we'll see right and on that note, I think that we should uh, puff our way on out of here. Um, so, <laughs> ah, an underground comics reference. Exactly. There we go. Um, HR <laughs> puffing stuff. Oh wait, that's not so underground. But whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Hand rolled anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Hand rolled puffing stuff. All right. Um, yeah, but again, that goes back to the idea of playing with the audience, saying, you know, oh, we're going to give you something that's uh, edgy and controversial. Mm-hmm. when in reality they were just giving them another children's show just on psychedelic drugs but that's neither here nor there <laughs> anyway so uh, thanks for listening folks i hope you've had a educational and enlightening legal experience enjoying <laughs> this show and uh, thanks to jack for dropping in for a while and uh, thank you don for doing all the research you did for on all the legal terms and everything else mm. you know what what we really have to do a sid marty croft episode yeah, but that yeah, would involve like, watching large amounts of Sid and Marty Crofts, and I'm not sure I'm willing to do that again in my life. 
It's like Sesame Street with more of a Catullian influence. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, I did watch those shows when I was a kid. I I was kind of just after they were popular, but I did see them. Um, yeah. Not a big fan as a kid, but I watched them anyway because <laughs> we only had like a limited number of channels. So, you know, if it was that or watching some like news show or something like that, hell yeah, I'll watch Sid and Marty Croft. Um, but I don't think I want to go back to them as an adult, dude. Sorry. I watched them all the time and I turned out perfectly all right. Good night, folks. <laughs> See you next time. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!